You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. So, welcome back, everybody. And uh, it is just us right now. It is Patrick. It is me. Hi. It us. We, we are, I guess technically we may have a little bit of uh, guest hosting services coming in from Ronan and Seuss at the present moment. Ronan they, has left the room. He, he's ooh, bored. He's he tired you. of this bullshit. He wants to do something else. So he. Okay. Well, I mean, Seuss being powered by uh, indifference and sleep as most cats are, uh, is, is soldiering it out bravely over here on a pile of blankets next to me. So well done, Seuss. Well done. Um, on the subject of soldiering it out, you know, when we were. Whenever we do the Just Us thing, we spend at least a little bit of time kind of, I guess, coordinating what we're going to talk about, having some vague sense of it. We pre-converse the conversation. We do. In fact, sometimes it's a little bit of a bummer because the conversation that happens, like it's like some of the best stuff we end up going like, damn, how do we maneuver our way back to saying those same things that we said 15 minutes ago before the recording was going? This this, um, conversation kind of began with me telling uh, telling Patrick about how Corwin was a trooper recently at school and uh, his AP English language teacher arranged a debate in class where the the resolution was something along the lines of chat GPT is a good thing and should be used in schools. And students were supposed to array themselves across the classroom with one poll representing strongly agree and the other poll representing strongly disagree and then students who felt kind of middle-ish put themselves somewhere in the middle. I guess 25 students all like backed up against the wall on the big hard agree lots of chat GPT in schools. And then one kid went on the opposite wall and the strong disagree and wouldn't you know it was my boy. Um <laughs> so Corwin holding down the side for for creators and things. And he had a number of different arguments and he was kind of sharing with me over text messages during his lunch period later that school day how that had gone. Um, cause I don't think he went into that class expecting to be the one man holding the hill. <laughs> so, um, but it was sort of interesting and, and it kind of led me to what we're, what we were talking about before we hit record. Um, cause when he come down to it, all the arguments that his peers had were based around, it comes up with ideas for me and that's really convenient or it can, you know, grammar check or spell check for me in different ways or, and that's really helpful or it can help me figure out how to paraphrase a quote better or yada, yada, yada. And all of their answers, um, every time he came up with like, but it stole 180,000 books uh, from different authors and things who are now in a class action suit because of the loss of the fair use of their intellectual property. Or, you know, it hallucinates information and makes it easier to spread false information around the world with less people being aware of it. You know, it takes away people's jobs. It disincentivizes actual learning, yada, yada. Each one of these different points that he's making, they kind of got more and more entrenched in the, but it's convenient or, but it's interesting or, but it it helps me do things more easily. And that kind of brought me back to this idea of like, elastic principles, I guess, which I think to some extent we all have, because when we have something that we're really into, and I think I see this particularly in the geek world too, we have something that we're really into and we see value in and we think is cool and is helpful, even if we're aware simultaneously that that thing is problematic in some way, it is interesting to see the ways that we will contort ourselves to try to 
justify the continued use of this thing or reliance on it in spite of knowing that it's bad. So I don't know. Um, I had a few examples of this in mind and you were kind of kicking this around with me too, Patrick. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, yes, I will follow that easily and smoothly. No problem. Yes. Well done, Tracy. Thank you. (laughs) You know, it's, it's so I'm, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to drill it down to some things. So convenience. Yes. So we, tend to look at things and say, this is, this is a terrible, terrible thing, but it's also convenient. Yes. That's why I like it. Uh, you know, you, you, the rise of the gigantic bookseller Mm -hmm. happened because you could go into those stores and you could find that new book you were looking for, but you could also find like some old stuff that you hadn't thought about. Like they had a broader selection than the mom and pop shop uh, because the mom and pop shop can't afford the inventory. So, so that, that, that really kind of drills down to where we are today. It's like, we, we do this, we do all kinds of stuff and we justify it morally in our heads because Mm -hmm. of convenience, right? Uh, the the reason that I order from Amazon is because I can get it today. Like yeah. they don't even they don't even mess with this weekend anymore. They've got shit on their site that it's like today. Yeah. You know, do you, you want you it between pens? Do you want it in the next five hours or the next eight? Yeah. yeah. Do you need pens for something? Mm-hmm. Okay. Order your pens right now. And we can have them to you b- b- between now and 10 p.m. tonight. Like you'll get it. And, and never mind that the, the driver is stressed out and overworked or that the company is horrible or that Jeff Bezos is, you know, a giant dick. Uh, like, never mind any of that shit. Uh, it's convenient and we're going to do it, right? Uh, I look at, if you, if you look at the uh, game stores, right? So game stores for the longest time were this niche market. You couldn't get that shit anywhere else. Right? Mm-hmm. Where are you going to go and get your dice? Where are you going to go and get the, the game that you want? Where are you going to go and test something? Where, like, that was the game shop. Now, almost all of that shit's on Amazon. Right? Yeah. And, and so, it, honestly, now that I'm thinking about it, it reminds me of The Office. Oh, that was like okay. their whole spiel, right? At Dunder Mifflin, was that uh, they were being put out of business by the big box chains like Home Depot. Or not Home Depot, Office Depot and Office Max, right? Mm-hmm. They were putting them out of business because they had the inventory. They could they could buy at at larger uh, volume so they can give deeper discounts. And mm-hmm. the thing that Dunder Mifflin had was if you picked up the phone and called them, they answered. Mm-hmm. There was no think of Pam. Think of yeah. Pam. Yeah, mm. there was no machine. There was no uh, there was no menu that you had to go through. It rang through to that front desk, and either Pam or Aaron answered the phone. Yeah, right. And 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 so that 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 was the 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 center and the heart of that show. And that's where we are now. It's like I, I can go I can go to Enchanted Grounds. It's going to take me thirty minutes to get there. If yeah. I want to go to Black and Red, God, that's like 45 minutes for me to get to Black and Red from where I'm living right now. Or I mm-hmm. can just go online and I can shop like crazy and order a bunch of shit from Amazon and it'll be here tomorrow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so we we sit there and we look at these things. And we say, this is a terrible, terrible thing. It's horrible. We, we have the moral high ground. Oh, this is just awful. But then, you know, conveniently, we're going to yeah. end up using it. 
Yeah. Uh, when you look at the AI stuff, uh, I can't think of anything that I use AI for, like actively, like I don't go out and use chat GPT and I don't, but that doesn't mean that AI isn't doing stuff, right? Mm -hmm. I mentioned something on Facebook and when I go to Amazon, guess what? Amazon is showing me an ad for something or Facebook's app is showing me an ad for something or Instagram is suddenly showing me like there are things that are happening in the background. That's all mm -hmm. AI driven. So yeah. It, Corwin's right. It steals jobs. It, 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 it does all these terrible things. Uh, and then those kids are right. <laughs> it's yeah. Convenient. I mean, it, it, it helps it them. It gives them stuff. Sure. But how are they going to feel? How are they going to feel when they come to school? And, and this is a different school, but you know, yeah. how are the IMSA kids going to feel when they come to school and Ms. Townsend isn't there or Mrs. Townsend isn't there because she's been replaced by the AI. I mean, it sounds sort of silly and alarmist, but it's not unreal at all. I mean, there are, there are plenty of educational environments that um, they, they use words like synergizing or streamlining or things like that, uh, that try and kind of use that vocabulary as a bit of a smokescreen for like, it would sure be convenient not to have human beings to have to worry with in this particular context. Can we just not somehow um, and kind of focus elsewhere? And they, they tend to cloud the issue and things like, well... Um, is there really that much importance or value in students studying literature? What they really need are these particular skills, and those skills can be achieved through the type of writing that can be generated through inputting things online and getting critical feedback from the algorithm um, and just doing cycles of that. And so doesn't that kind of cover it? Um, and so it, there tends to be this kind of like recursiveness where there's such a commitment, whether it's driven by people's financial interests or their convenience or both. There's such a commitment to having the problematic thing that when you sort of raise objections to the problematic thing, we kind of want to find ways to weave around it and say like, well, is that thing that you're defending really that important anyway? It'd be like people's jobs. There's lots of other jobs out there. Right. Or be like, well, at least we know that Amazon employs lots of people. So, you know, they, they generate lots of jobs and Amazon workers are being paid better now than they used to be. So that's good. Right. Um, you know, we talked about this in terms of social media as well. Um, not changing in the social media landscape in terms of what yeah. environments people think are worth being on or, or problems to be on. Lots of huge migrations away from the artist formerly known as Twitter. Um, into other platforms and things, and also, you know, emerging dialogue and frustration about some of those other platforms also not being secure in ways people would want, or also um, not having the kind of transparency of crosstalk and things that, or or the broadband exposure or whatever that you might have had with the previous installment of that technology, and so then there's a little bit of creeping back that you might see some people doing. And I think that whether we're talking about a technology or a service um, or, or even our relationship to certain forms of entertainment, it's very difficult, I think, for us to disconnect those convenience-oriented pleasure centers of our brain and to kind of maintain that sort of moral principle higher ground. I mean, we're really good at stating those moral principles of higher ground, but then the sticking to them, oof, um, I don't you, know you, that a lot of us measure up. You, we run into 
this issue mm -hmm. of we want to be good people. We want to support good things. We also have our own personal agendas of things that we want to do. So uh, when we talk about the migration away from uh, the, the, the service formerly known as Twitter, which is just so fucking stupid, but that's how, that's how I read it in every goddamn article at this point. It's just frustrating. But, uh, okay, let's say, let's say you're, 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 you're a writer and you're a published author and you're on that site and you don't like what's going on there, so you move. So that site used to give you a sense of community. Right. Because that was a place where lots of different people came together who shared interests and liked books, liked what you were doing. You maybe talked to some other authors that you met, but now it's, it's getting kind of toxic. And so you want to go somewhere else. That's your sense of community. Right. You want to build that sense of community somewhere else. and You want to do it in a place that uh, is is I don't want to say nurturing necessarily, but isn't toxic. You just, you mm -hmm. want that sense yeah. of community again, that you're not getting from Twitter anymore. I totally 100% understand and get that, right? That That's what we want. Uh, we want that community. We want to be around people that, that enjoy the same things we do that we can have, you know, good conversations with. Boom, go for it. The problem comes in that particular person, that author has another agenda, which is they want to get their books out there and they want people to read them. If those people who are buying and reading the books don't go with you, you have to come back, right? Or you have to go to wherever yep. they are. So let's say that you decide your new platform is going to be Blue Sky. Great, wonderful. If all your readers go to Mastodon, now you have to go to Mastodon. Like you have to go. So so when you look at uh, a lot of these things, like you have you have you have your your you want to meet with your friends and have good conversations and and be able to talk and 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 do all these things here. Uh, you also have this agenda where you want to sell books and you want to you want to build your readership and build your following. You have to go to where those people are. If those people don't leave Twitter, you're gonna be coming back. Like. You can have that moral high ground and you can say, oh, I'm going to stick over here in Blue Sky or Mastodon or wherever I am. But as, as soon as like stuff starts happening, <laughs> mm -hmm. like like maybe your sales drip, drip, drop, yeah. uh, or, or like the publisher is no longer interested in another book from you or whatever can kind of happen over here in this sphere, you're going to end up searching for where are the readers. And maybe mm -hmm. that takes you to TikTok where the, the book talk stuff is happening. And there's a lot of book stuff, I guess, on TikTok. Oh, yeah. Uh, or maybe yeah. that takes you back to Facebook or takes you to Twitter or takes you to Instagram or threads or wherever. Um, the problem is that that's a perception. Yeah. That's where you think that those people are. And that's where you think it's going to positively impact whatever it is you're doing. There's no way to draw a direct correlation. Mm -hmm. You can't track your interactions on a social media platform back to a sale. <laughs> it's it's yeah. very rare and impossible. Like we have had people listen to our show and come back and say, hey, I bought that book because of your interview. We've had people say that. That's awesome. That's rare. <laughs> like yeah. People don't say it very often. So yeah. there's, there's yeah. no other way to track it. So I yeah, guess not I'm, to discourage I'm, future people from signing up, but I don't know yeah. that we that we have metrics to give you exactly. 
Not like that. No, 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 we don't. Like I can tell you how many people listened or how many people downloaded or how many people hit the website. I don't – I'm sorry. There's like a motorcycle or something going on outside. It's really loud. Um, as a digital marketer, I can tell you that there are ways to track people and there's things that you can do. Uh, you, you Have you heard of cookies? Yes. yes you go to a website and the website pops up a little thing and says, hey, we Who have doesn't cookies. love cookies? Have a cookie. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we track you. We're going to do stuff. Uh, you can control that by clicking here and then you can decide what they can and can't track. Um, sometimes that works. Sometimes it doesn't. But like I could I could I could put a cookie on you in your mm -hmm. browser and I could track what you do after you leave functional nurse. Yeah, I don't do that because I don't like that. And plus, it's complicated. And as we all know, I'm lazy as fuck. I'm not going to do that shit. But um, yeah, I could. And a lot of other people do like they track you with those cookies. And that's why when you go to one website, uh, suddenly you see ads for things related to that. Or yeah. why when you put something on your uh, you're on your phone and you put something on Facebook or you put something on Instagram or you like a thing or you you spend an, uh, 30 seconds looking at a post instead of two, suddenly mm -hmm. you're getting ads for things. It's because they're mm -hmm. tracking you on that kind of stuff. But as far as like publishing goes, like there's there if there's an author out there who's tracking that i haven't met them yet because it costs a lot of money and it takes a lot of time <laughs> there, there's just no way they're, they're not mm -hmm. doing that i'd be shocked mm -hmm. if there was one that was doing that yeah yeah and i think again but the point is that they you're going to go where you need to go yeah, well, where where we at least perceive ourselves is like what our best yeah. options are. Like of yeah. in a in a world of problematic options, like what are our best options? In a world of problematic <laughs> options. Yeah, that's doesn't really quite roll off the tongue in the way the the, the, the opening usually does. Um, and I think I, I like going back to that idea you said of like we want to believe that we're good people. Like we want to involve yeah. ourselves in good things. And I think that's for me where the fandom component comes in. Um, you know, fandom in its broadest sense can be comprised of lots of different subgroups of people. But if we go kind of uh, deep cuts into like the, the parts of fandom that kind of consider themselves old school nerdy, by which I mean into the sorts of things that people associate with nerds, your sort of big bang theory nexus of, of nerddom here, right? That those are people who probably powerfully feel the need to be good and righteous or to be seen as good and righteous because of a consciousness of how other people in the world have seen them in the past, right? Or, or the assumptions other people have made about them in the past. And so that tends to lead into wanting to create community spaces that advocate for certain types of, of openness and welcoming and everyone should be happy here. And so then we hear about, for instance, a con um, that we may really have enjoyed going to and we know some of the people who run it or who are regulars there. And we hear about those people um, or people connected to them who have done problematic things or that con being a location that's been dangerous or unwelcoming for certain people. And it's always then interesting in the same way that you have the what about isms of like, well, well, what about if I need this thing from Amazon tomorrow that I really absolutely have to have and I live in an area where I wouldn't have a hope of finding it in my local stores. We get into the what about ism that's driven by that social convenience slash identification of ourselves as part of the good, right? right. And I think... I think maybe this is a 
wild, completely unjustified psychological theory I'm going to chuck out here. But like, I wonder if as a community, nerd folk are maybe more simultaneously aware of this as a cognitive dissonance, but also more prone to it. Like, we may be more aware of our own hypocrisies here, but it doesn't make us any less likely to own them in a way that involves stepping away, cutting the cord from the problematic things, and so on. Um, Because I think I know more people. uh, Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but also no. (laughs) Okay. All right. Yeah. Break it down. Well, I, I, I feel like we are also, and I'm, I'm, I'm using a collective we, we as nerds, mm-hmm. uh, we are also more prone to defending the thing till we die. Oh, yeah. The doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. Yeah. And so you will, you'll have someone say, um, you will have someone say, look, here's a problematic thing that has happened Mm -hmm. and it continues to happen and we need to do something about it. And then the person that you're talking to will go, well, it's, but it's never happened to me. Sure. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and and so that causes problems. When you talk about, uh, you know, nerddom and and supporting things and not supporting things and this and that, uh, you mentioned the big bang theory. There was a, there was a great moment in the big bang theory that I think talks quite a bit about what we're talking about. Stuart ran a comic book store. Mm Mm-hmm. And Stuart uh, was there throughout the entire show. At one point towards the end, like he becomes a regular on the show, uh, a regular player. And uh, he, you know, he takes care of Wallowitz's mother and, and all this kind of stuff. But uh, uh, he runs the comic book store. The guys are at the comic book store every single week for new comic book night. Like they're there. Every time there's a shipment, they're there. They are buying comic books from him. They're buying collectibles from him. Uh, at one point they're playing D and D and Stuart is sitting there and he's looking at this D and D game that, that Leonard has set up. And he's like, he picks up a mini and he's like, I don't remember you buying this. Selling you this. Yeah. And, and Leonard looks at him and says, I ordered it off of Amazon. Like they are, they are friends. They spend Mm -hmm. tons of time together. They do buy stuff, but even that relationship, Mm-hmm. He gets it from Amazon. Like he he bought mm-hmm. that thing from Amazon, mm-hmm. and that and that that tends to happen. Like we we do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of insane, but that that's what happens. I remember I remember talking to someone who wanted to wanted to start a thing a business, and in in inside of fandom. And they were going about it very professionally, which just kind of blows my mind. Because uh, <laughs> most of the time, most of the time, you know, we just go, hey, let's fucking do this thing. <laughs> Podcast, yeah, six hundred yeah. episodes later. But um, <laughs> they're, 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 they're like, okay, you know, this is our idea. This is our business plan. This is They hired like a consultancy company to do some market research and, and this and that. And, and said, here, here's what we want to do. What do you think? The the consultancy company goes out. They did they did all this testing and, and focusing and all you know, all the shit. And then they came back with the recommendations. And they're like, we think that this is a really solid business plan and a really solid idea. It's really great. The only thing that that limits you is the fact that you want to be in the science fiction and fantasy fandom sphere. That's where this whole thing falls apart because. Uh, they will love you. They will support you 
in every possible way except monetarily. Oh, yeah. They won't give you oh, any yeah. money. So you're not going to make any money off this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that person walked away. They're like, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this right. thing. Because the, the whole idea was to build this business and, and in this sphere that they loved, which was science fiction and fantasy, and have this thing and kind of grow it. But if they're not going to give you any money, you can't do it. Well, I mean, that's that kind of they'll love it. They'll 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 engage with it. They'll consume it, but they won't necessarily pay for it. That's the bone structure of where a lot of piracy comes from. There yeah. are there are people who pirate or acquire pirated things from people who they absolutely love. Um, maybe they have paid for some of that person's work in the past, but if they have the opportunity to grab on to whatever things they're missing or whatever thing they want, the next book, the next movie, the next whatever, um, they'll they'll go ahead and do it off of whatever you know the, the so-called free internet library archive or you know whatever that you know source du jour I, happens to be. I thought I heard that Chuck Wendig had taken that down. Uh, with sword and shield, apparently, all by his lonesome and not in any way um, as a result of their own legal trespasses. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I I was um, – the other day I was walking through the classroom uh, teaching some kids. They were doing like a thing in their individual groups and I was just kind of doing the thing that teachers do where you check to make sure that they're kind of on task and not totally, you know, playing Fortnite in the middle of class. And as I passed by between a couple of tables, a student who is frequently off task, but at least off task in sort of interesting ways, they turn to me and they say, hey, Ms. Townsend, what's your opinion on book piracy? And I'm like, it's terrible and bad. And then we got into the sort of wheeling arguments um, or they sort of expanded like, well, what about, you know, pirated episodes of television shows? I'm like, it's terrible and it's bad. And they're like, well, what if it's uh, someone who's really successful and has already made a lot of money? And I'm like, it's terrible and it's bad. And they're like, what do you feel about the 75 lifetime plus 75 years on copyright? And I'm like, that's good. And they're like, but it makes it so that people can't just like have things why do you need to own your copyright for 75 years after you're dead and i'm like so that my children can benefit from the work that i created and there's some ability for there to be generational wealth acquired in a profession that has almost no wealth to begin with and like i like they're not i i didn't i've never made a ton of money off of my work but i'll be damned if i'm gonna let them have no chance of it ever um and so you know, the conversation goes on and people love sort of like, well, what's the difference between this and a library? And I'd be like, oh, baby child, I can tell you all sorts of things about how this is different than a library. Um, how is this different than like uh, buying a used book from a used bookstore? Like, well, you just still did say the word buy, didn't you? Um, and so it, it's related to that, those sort of convolutions of, but I love the thing, but this thing brings me joy. The most convenient thing is for me to not pay and also have thing. My love makes this okay. I mean, when you kind of strip all of the serial marks of everything else we've been talking about, that's the logic that's used for, I have to have Apple devices, even though people who generate Apple products, you know, are working in sweatshops in China to do it effectively and and like living in sort of cities owned by the corporation that sort of functionally owns them as humans. Um, You know, we, we use that to justify shopping at Walmart or shopping at 
Amazon or, you know, giving our money to any number of enterprises or using something that is a giant large language model piracy machine. Like, pick your thing. They all come down to like, well, this thing that is important to me and that I like and love and want to have is only available by ethically questionable means. My desires are more important than the ethically questionable component here. Yeah. And ultimately, I will tie myself into rhetorical knots to try and prove that this is just. And I mean, before it sounds like I've completely ridden off into the sky on my high horse here, I have such a problematic relationship with Amazon. Like, so problematic. I'm having a couple of people over for dinner tomorrow, and I had a recipe that I wanted to make them. And I realized that I was out of an ingredient for said recipe. That's kind of like a niche spice. It's a little bit hard to find. I knew the store I could go to to buy it because that's where I bought it in the first place. But I was at work and it was a really long day and I didn't want to have to stop at that store on the way home. So you know what my awful ass did? I went to Amazon and checked. Sure enough, they sell it and they could have it shipped here by later in the day on Saturday and the meal isn't needing to be ready until Sunday. So you can bet I ordered it from them as opposed to the local ethnic grocery store that if I just made a 20 minute detour on my way home, I could have gone there. So I, all of this, I guess, is to say we got some splaining to do. (laughs) I'm, I'm the same way. So, so uh, if you follow me on social media, which most, if not all, like 99% of my social media at this point is all on Facebook. Because for me, that's the most convenient because that's where people that I actually am willing to talk to are. Curated relationships. So, and and plus they give me the tools that I want, you know, to to be able to post things to our group or to schedule things or to this or that. Um, And uh, I've been talking about my inability to breathe. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Ronan is barking because there's there's people and dogs and things happening. Because well, he's worried. He said you can't house. breathe. He's like, I will help you, Daddy. <laughs> and the weather changed, and as soon as the weather changed, my sinuses uh, became inflamed, and I can't breathe. Like, and and then there's allergies, and there's all kinds of stuff happening. And so I, I have complained about this quite a bit. Uh, people know that I don't have a neti pot, but I have the nerd version of the neti pot, which is called Navage. This is a thing that instead of pouring stuff in one nose and then all the stuff comes out the other side of the nose, like one nostril and out the other nostril, this thing has a couple of little uh, things that stick in both nostrils. And then the idea is that it shoots the saline up one and then sucks it out the other. The problem is that I am so congested that it just shoots up the one and then straight down my throat. (laughs) So I end up choking. Uh, but I do feel slightly better in that one nostril. I can breathe for a couple of hours. Uh, so I have complained about this enough that someone uh, recommended to me this stuff that they said I could go to uh, any pharmacy and get it. But I would have to talk to the pharmacist because they keep it behind the counter. So they have immediately put up a barrier of shit that I am never going to fucking do. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I talk am never to the person, going to go, go to place. Yes. I am yeah. not going to go to the place and talk to the person. Like that's not going to happen. I'm sorry. You know? Yeah. Uh, so I ended up ordering it on Amazon and I will tell you, uh, it, it's, it's Al-Galol. A-K-A-L-K-A-L-O-L. A natural soothing nasal wash. Uh, 
with essential oils. And supposedly that goes in and breaks up the gunk in your nose. I haven't used it yet, but I ordered it from Amazon. Like I, I was just like, Oh, yeah. well, I wonder if Amazon has it. I look it up. Sure. as Shit. They do. Mm-hmm. I looked at it on King super's website and it was the exact same price on both. Yeah. So I'm not getting any, like there's no, there's no give to get it at King super's versus Amazon. Or anything. I just ordered it on Amazon and it showed yeah. up last night. I haven't used it yet, but I've, I've got it. Uh, and I didn't use it because I wasn't sure, like, if it was going to kill me and then I wasn't going to be able to record. But the point is, like, the convenience of doing that versus having to talk to a person. Right. <laughs> grocery store. <laughs> like, yeah. I, that's just, yeah, I'm going to just even, even rewinding to, like, the Big Bang Theory, you know, narrative turned into real life. The friendly local game store to which the Townsend family is loyal is called, uh, it's, it's in Plainfield. Uh, which is a suburb of Chicago, and it's called the Wandering Dragon Game Shop. It's a lovely shop. Um, They've got a really cool um, kind of funky interior design where it kind of like winds further and further back, and there's all these different rooms where you can rent out uh, that are decorated in different cool ways so that they look kind of like um, rooms in an inn in a sort of medieval context, and you can use those for gaming purposes or whatnot. They have an absolutely gigantic array of unboxed games that if you want to just try something before you buy it, you can do it. Um, They do a bunch of game reselling and things like that for folks for store credit purposes. Um, Because we have a sense of loyalty there before Husbeast orders his next game for his, his game fix and he's jonesing to get a new game thing. He will do two things. He will check to see if Wandering Dragon has it in stock and because gen- they have a website where you can look it up, but it's not always like super, super up to date because it's quite literally a family business. Um, and then he will check Amazon. And of course, Amazon will have it available by some way, shape or form. Right. It's really just a question of is it going to come tomorrow? Is it going to come in like four days? And so he will always still contact friendly local game store. And so when Husbeast talks to them, he wants to know, do you have it now? If you don't have it now, if you were to order it in, how long would it be before it would come in? And he has his own kind of uh, complex personal calculus that he goes into here because he wants to support friendly local game store. And so there's all sorts of things like, do I have a bunch of credit from reselling my old games there that I could pay towards it? So even if I have to wait a week, no big deal. I'm probably I didn't intend to play it this weekend with friends anyway. I wouldn't have time to learn it before then anyway. Cool. We'll put it towards game credit. It's like getting a free game plus they get the business. Or, you know, do I do need it soon or want it soon for reasons or is there such a difference in the price that they're selling it for? Or, you know, and so you you make all these kind of calculations. And so you end up making that decision sometimes that a certain amount of your business goes in this other direction and even as you click that buy now, you're like I'm the worst person. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a very bad person. It doesn't necessarily keep you from clicking. Um, and so I think if there's a way to resolve this conversation, like to try and put a bow on it, one, I don't think there is. Um, but if, if I were to attempt one, for me, I think it's that I probably need to slow down a bit as a kind of consumer of my culture, my geek culture, my geek stuff, my conveniences and things like that, and think a little bit more about why do I do the things I do? Like if if I'm willing to get really heated up about the ethical implications of X and Y and Z, am I willing also to follow through on them? And if not, do I perhaps owe it to the universe to shut up about the ethical things um, so that at least I'm not 
representing something that isn't true. What's the what's the what's the saying about um it doesn't matter what you do when people watch are watching it's, mm, it's what you do yeah. when they're not watching. Right. Right. You know, that we, we talk sometimes it's a bit of a coded phrase now and I think it gets it gets used by people who aren't always um discoursing in good faith, but there is that whole idea of like performative um ethics or sort of like, you know, kind of performative outrage or performative criticism. And I mean, I think there is real value to assessing whether or not I as a consumer or as a fan or things like that am guilty of it myself. And, and, and it's, it can be difficult, uh, that when you, you want a thing you want to you want the thing and you want to you want to be a good person and you want to not support the bad company uh, but when it saves you 10 bucks yeah that's the other problem right we all yeah. we all do that it's not like, everybody it's like has the 10 bucks to stand on principle with yeah i could save money so so here's one one thing that i do that i have stuck with like i mm-hmm. i fully admit i buy shit from amazon right but um I don't buy anything from Walmart. Mm-hmm. I could save money on groceries. I could if mm-hmm. I went to Walmart. I don't. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm buying them from Kroger. Yeah, and I know, and I know I'm paying more, but I, it's like that's the one thing because like I don't, I don't like Walmart. <laughs> I, I don't like them as a company. I don't, I don't think they treat. And what's funny is my mom worked there and she loved it. She, she felt, she, she was like. She made more money working at Walmart than she did any other job, which mm-hmm. is really sad. I mean, that, that's sad. Yeah. But, but it is. It's her reality. Like, she started mm-hmm. out making $2 an hour as a waitress and living off tips, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, all the way up to the, when she first got her job at Walmart, she's like, oh, my God, I don't know what to do with all this money. And I felt mm-hmm. bad. I was like, holy crap. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, like I, I refused to buy anything from them, so mm-hmm. that that's that's my stand. That's the stand that I have made. Is like I don't support Walmart. I yeah, don't buy my groceries yeah. anywhere else. I think for for those folks who are um, who are patrons of the podcast or who are perhaps interested in supporting us as a hopefully ethical enterprise through Patreon.com. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Um, it would be interesting to kind of have a follow-up conversation about this on our hopefully not too problematic patron Facebook group um, where we kind of, I don't know, I'd be interested to know what, what our regular listeners, um, what they kind of identify as the kind of uh, ethical soft points in their ethical chinks in their armor as fans or consumers or, or this or that. Like I, I love things that Joss Whedon created. I still consume them. He is still a garbage human who we have learned more and more about as a garbage human who oftentimes treated the people whose work I admire within what he created very, very poorly um, and My. to his own for, for his own reasons. And yet here I am still streaming the Buffy verse with my daughter. My, my favorite con shirt for many, many years, and people, long-time listeners know this, who would run into me at conventions. But my favorite concert that I wore uh, came from um, PVP, uh, the, mm-hmm. the online comic. It was uh, Joss Whedon is my master now. Mm. 
and and I used to wear that all the time. And it was because he was a better storyteller, right? Then yeah. that was the the that was the context of the shirt within the comic is that the guy's like, no, no, Joss Whedon is my master now. And like, right. right. But it got retired. No. Yep. <laughs> you know, uh, nope. yeah, it's, it's, yeah, that's rough. I haven't, I haven't watched anything that he's done other than Avengers, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's rough. It's rough. I think we owe it to the listeners now to maybe end with a feel good thing. Do we want to do we okay. want to make a pick for them or do we want to do we want to end with a I don't know. Do a Let's be a little want? up here. You want to pick? Yeah. What do you want? Yeah, we could do a pick. Picks are good. Picks of the week. Okay. Um so I haven't done a pick that was a recipe in a long time. Um so I'm going to do that. And so this comes with the caveat that if you, uh, for for reasons of um, you know religious observation or diet or or whatever, do not consume pork, then this recipe will not make you happy. But um, one of my favorite things to make when I've got people coming over, and in fact, is the thing that I'm making with ingredients that I ordered from the evil Bezosaurus app, um, is is bosom. Um, and so bosom, which is two words, B-O and then double S-A-M, it's a Korean dish and it is stupidly simple and it is amazing for feeding a crowd. So, uh, perk your little ears up. I'm going to tell you in one minute how to make bosom. You can do it one of two ways. You either get yourself a giant pork butt, Boston pork butt sort of thing with a with a bone in. They go anywhere from like six up to 13 pounds or whatever. Get a size that makes sense for you and your group of humans. You can take that bad boy. You're going to take a cup of salt and a cup of white sugar. And you're going to coat that entire thing in this absolutely ridiculous amount of salt and sugar. You're going to put it in your fridge overnight, about 12-ish hours or so. The next day, after it's kind of started to sweat out a lot of its juices and stuff and it's been sitting in that dry brine, you're going to scrape off the salt and sugar and stuff. And then you're going to do one of two things, depending on what makes you happy and what your appliances are. You're either going to sear the outside in a, in a frying pan, stick that bad boy in a crock pot for again, depending on the size of it, anywhere from like eight hours up to maybe 10 hours or so on low. And then you're going to haul it out of the crock pot, put it in like a nine by 13, slather a bunch of brown sugar on the top of it, like a big mess of brown sugar on the top of it, stick it under your broiler, get it a real good crust going there and pull it out. That thing's going to be falling apart. It's going to just faint into the dish at this point. You're going to take bib lettuce leaves or romaine lettuce leaves, whatever makes you happy. Some nice rice, like a sushi rice would be kind of cool here. Throw it into a, in a rice maker. It's totally idiot proof. And you're just going to make like a little taco out of that guy. You're going to shred it right there at the table with everybody standing there, like a bunch of maniacs with forks attacking this big, salty, sugary, delicious piece of fatty meat. And you're going to make these little things. You can add sauces to the top. Like if you're into the spicy stuff, you can go gokujang or, you know, if you just want like a teriyaki sauce or things like that. And you just go hawk. Um, no pun intended on the fact that it's a giant pork butt. The other alternative is if you don't want to do the um, searing it on the outside sort of thing, you just put it in a slow oven, like 350 degrees forever at like, eh, call it like five, six hours. And then as it starts falling apart, you do the broiler thing with the brown sugar on top. 
And so it is an amazingly satisfying dish. And the best part is after you've eaten 97,000 pounds of pork in the method that I've just described with your like little lettuce roll taco things, if you're like, oh God, I can never eat pork that way again, but there's still 97 million more pounds of pork, then because of the way it's seasoned, it can be transformed into basically anything else that wants shredded pork. So you want to start turning it into a base for like an enchilada thing, go off. You want to turn it into... um, you know, your leftovers into like barbecue pork sandwiches. Cool. That works too. So it's good to go. I highly recommend it. Bosom, you 15 buck cut of meat, going to make some magic happen with just a crap ton of thyme and some salt and some sugar. Awesome. I saw, I saw a cool video uh, on YouTube. It was, um, if you ever want to cook chicken, like chicken thighs, yeah, and, yeah. And, and like the, the, the bone in is cheaper than the bone out. Yes. And the bone in takes all of two minutes to take the bone out. Okay. I don't and know the trick for that, but I guess I'll have to look it up. It, it was actually ridiculously simple, at least how oh, this cool. guy did it. So uh, I just throw that out there as a tip. Uh, since you went with a recipe, I'll go with another one that I think is kind of fun to do, uh, especially if you want – some different meals throughout the week. It's very, very simple. It's a crock pot. So I do, I do uh, two jars of 505 mm-hmm. green chili. Nice. And you can do, they have different heat levels and I do the chili sauce uh, and I do medium mm-hmm. and two to three uh, boneless chicken breasts. Okay. And you put, one jar of green chili in the bottom of the of the crock pot. You put your chicken breasts in the middle, and then you pour the other one on top. You close it. You cook it. <laughs> it's very simple. Yeah. Uh, four to five to six hours in, depending on your crock pot, your chicken is done. You can take it out. You can cube it. You can shred it. Uh, at that point, add your salt and pepper mm-hmm. to the chicken, and then reintegrate it back into the green chili. And then you have got essentially green chili chicken for tacos, for burritos, enchiladas, whatever you want. You can take part of it. You can freeze it. But you've got stuff for the rest of the week. And I do that nice. every once in a while. Nice. Especially now when it's getting cooler. Yeah. Um, any any recipe that involves a minimum of steps and ingredients um, and is kind of goof proof, big, big ups. Yep. All right. High five, my brother. We've we've investigated our ethical, moral souls, and also we're working on feeding them. So yep. That's nice. It's always nice. All good things. Here we are at the end again. But there's some stuff you should probably know before you go. First, consider heading over to beyondthetrope.com and checking out their podcast. It's a lot of fun. Giles and Michelle have been around for nearly a decade now, I think, having fun chats with writers, artists, actors, and more. They put out a new episode every Tuesday and have something like 430 overall in the can, I think, as of this recording. It might be 431, I don't know. But that means there's plenty there for you to dive into. Second, if you liked this episode of The Functional Nerds, Consider giving us a couple of stars on your favorite podcast platform or posting about this episode or any of our episodes on your favorite social media platform. Tell your friends about us. Have them come over. We would really appreciate that part. 
if you buy a book mentioned on the podcast, let us know on social media. Tag us. Tag the author. That's always so much fun, and it really, really drives home that we help sell books every once in a while. Now, if you really, really, really enjoyed this episode, you could head over to patreon.com slash functional nerds and give us a couple of bucks. I mean, that helps to keep the lights on. We like that. It's kind of hard to podcast in the dark. You can get access to some cool stuff like a pretty engaged and vibrant super secret Facebook group, a monthly virtual hangout, or even an extra episode. It's called the Just Us episode of the podcast. And it's exclusively at this point for our Patreon backers. So if you just want to hear Tracy and I talk about stuff, that might be where you need to go. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel. Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise. <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? <laughs> okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.